Welcome, this is your host, Zaida Sorel Medina with The Voice Podcast. I was awakened by a loud thump in the middle of the night. I opened my eyes wider and could see a tall man holding my 11-year-old brother Jonathan, merciless by the neck. Jonathan's long and lanky legs dangled in midair. His cinnamon brown face turned pulsing red. He scratched the tall man's face to fight him off, but the tall man squeezed harder. Jonathan's arms fell to his side and his legs grew limp. The tall man grinned. In my three-year-old mind, nothing made sense. The bustle of the St. Louis ghetto that normally bled into the night was non-existent. The world around me stopped. The piercing sound of my eldest brother gasping for air echoed in my head. He could not breathe, and there was nothing that I could do. My brothers and sisters were at home that night. Andres, Ricardo, Crystal, and Maria, who were 10, 4, 2, and 1 years old, respectively. Andres dashed into the other room and came back with a hammer, his forehead filled with veins. My mother, weighing probably no more than 100 pounds, grabbed the hammer from Andres and stared dead into the tall man's eyes. I could only imagine what she was thinking or what she was going to do with that hammer. She aimed the hammer at the tall man's head. He stumbled backwards, his cheeks landing firmly against the floor. Blood oozed from his head. My mother stepped over the tall man's body. Then she looked at Jonathan, who lay on the floor gasping for air. She crouched to her knees and cradled him in her arms. Come on, my mother said swiftly rising from the floor. No one comes between me and my children. My siblings and I ran outside, down the crumbling steps of the front porch, across the empty lot, past the willows, under the St. Louis sky. We ran and ran and ran. The soporific heat of the Midwest sunk into our skins. We ran and ran, leaving the tall man behind. We ended up at my grandparents' house around the corner. That night, my mother was restless. She stood by the window in the living room, peeping through the blinds. I pretended to be asleep, but from the slit of my eyes, I studied the geometry of my mother's face. Her copper-yellow skin filled with freckles, high cheekbones, and paper-thin lips. Her deep brown eyes stared fiercely out of the window, 
making sure that the tall man didn't find us. My mother was a mixed woman of African and Latin descent, reared by Christian and Catholic parents, with a strict streak about them. They forced her to marry when she was 18 years old, not to mention she was pregnant. She birthed her first child in 1980 in St. Louis, Missouri, named Jonathan. Married to her high school sweetheart at the time, she was more than unsatisfied with the arranged marriage. A few affairs and struggles later, my mother ended up falling victim to the crack epidemic. Like many other black and Latinos in the inner city, it was the 1990s and like many other urban cities, there were few job opportunities and inadequate resources in St. Louis. Much of this was the result of ill-conceived public policies and practices over the decades that led to hypersegregation, insufficient job opportunities, white flight, and urban poverty, leaving many families with no other option but to sell drugs or prostitute to make ends meet. And, of course, there were also those who abused drugs to escape the reality of poverty and rejection. On this day, this very bitter day, my mother realized that her crack addiction was getting to the best of her, and by extension, her children. She had been on and off of drugs, had married and gotten separated, and had six kids, all before her 30s. It was time to stop and to release herself from her drug habits. So she picked up the phone, called her friend William, and ask him to take her and her kids to the child welfare office. She couldn't take care of them anymore. It was too much. She wanted to surrender her children to the state so that she could focus on getting herself together. William said yes, and off they went on a spring day to the child welfare office. My mother opened the child welfare office door and was greeted with stares and whispers among white faces. Who was this woman with her tawdry clothes and children hanging from her hips and thighs? It was clear to her in that moment that the child welfare office, which was supposed to be a haven for children, was in fact open to the public but closed to drug addicts. I would like to know if you all can take my kids, my mom said to the white lady sitting at the desk. I need help. I'm trying to get off of drugs. I want to go to a rehabilitation place, but I can't go with the kids. Can you all take my kids while I get better? Please, can somebody help, ma'am? 
<laughs> the lady, whose face I cannot recall, must have looked like the devil, if the devil were to have a face. She laughed hysterically, and so did the other white lady sitting next to her. Their laughter echoed the child welfare office, its hallways and administrative offices. A tear fell from my mother's eyes and rolled down her freckled cheeks. We can't do anything for you, the woman said plainly with a smirk on her face. Get out of here. My mom, who was not a cold woman, walked off with her six children into an uncertain future. This is my story. I'm your host, Saida Sorel Medina, with The Voice Podcast. We all have stories, adversity stories. I want to close out this podcast with three takeaways from my story. In light of Foster Care Awareness Month, I'm going to especially gear these takeaways for individuals who have gone through family separation. The first takeaway, don't be afraid of your story. I used to be afraid of my story, but now my story is afraid of me. Growing up as a foster and homeless youth and having an unconventional family, I bounced back and forth between the ghetto and the suburbs with families and friends and individuals of different class and race and ethnic backgrounds. I found myself in between worlds and spaces where I felt like I didn't fit in. My peers could not relate to me. This created a sense of shame, but then life happened. And in this amazing journey, I've come to the realization that we are unique in our own ways. Our story makes us unique. So don't be afraid of your story. Flip it around. Make your story afraid of you by extracting from it the positive. The second takeaway, be patient. Life is full of twists and turns. I am happy to share with you the tender stories in my childhood and youth in this podcast. They are full of adventures and tender moments culminating into my success as a first-generation college student, social worker, PhD graduate, and now a foster parent. This story that I read to you, titled Out of the Cold House, although it represents the storm of my family's life, this storm eventually subsides. So be patient. The last takeaway, my friends, Create your circle of friends, people who understand and appreciate you for who you are and your story. Cultivate and maintain those bonds because at the end of the day, they function to help us grow and heal from our adversity. I have so many friends and mentors who helped me in life, people who I consider my family now. I want to thank them for their ongoing support. And you should also thank your friends and family, people who have helped you to overcome your adversity. Go ahead. Thank them right now. Thank you all for listening to The Voice Podcast. <laughs>